Today we have two special guests, Rob Main, Chief Risk Officer for the state of North Carolina, and welcoming back Jim Weaver, Secretary for Information Technology and State CIO at North Carolina. Rob, welcome to Tech Tables. Welcome to the Old North State, Joe. <laughs> I love it. Jim, twice in one day. I love this. How could you be so lucky? I am really a lucky man. I am really a lucky man. Okay, so in true Rob Main fashion, we have to start with two truths and a lie. And for the audience out there, we're really going to test you out right now. So here's the first one. Jim Weaver, I'm going to start easy. Jim Weaver loves the Yankees so much, he has a Jeter license plate on his car. Okay, so truth or lie. Okay, so we got some truths. At NASTD in New Orleans, I went out with a group of folks from Texas, strolled around down Bourbon Street where Ed Kelly, the chief data officer, got lost in the crowd with a band of singers and a man next to him was holding a snake. Truth or lie? An old friend of Jim's, Sindhu Menon, former CIO for the city of Raleigh. You might be wondering, how do I know her? And now the CIO for Harris County in Texas. She thinks Texas barbecue is better than North Carolina. Now, which, which one is false? N number three? Number three? You're right. That is false. She actually, she told me, she said, I actually don't eat meat at all. <laughs> okay, so we had a little inside knowledge on that. Now, we were sorry to see Sindhu go back to, actually, that was her former job before she actually came here to the city of Raleigh. But she was a great partner here while she was here. Yeah, she was really great. I was trying really hard just for some scheduling. I was actually even trying to get her on camera to record here just a little bit. She was going to have a message for you, Jim. But unfortunately, we just couldn't get the timing to work. But she will be. her podcast will come out probably in September. So we look forward to that one. And before we jump into today's podcast episode, is sponsored by Sentinel One. Sentinel One redefined cybersecurity by pushing the boundaries of autonomous technology with its Singularity XDR platform. Sentinel One is the leader in endpoint protection and beyond. Check out Sentinel One at sentinelone.com. Okay, Rob, so I recently had Tim Romer, the state CISO in Arizona, and Nancy Ranisak, the CISO for the state of Texas, on at our Phoenix event. And Tim had mentioned that cybersecurity is homeland security. So that got me thinking about a really great quote from, I think, either Nancy had said it, but it was basically cybersecurity is national security. I know a number of folks are saying that now. With the importance of cybersecurity top of mind for many governors and CIOs and CISOs across the country today, could you maybe just talk about two to three examples of the Cyber Pathways partnership that you're helping to lead in North Carolina and what you hope to achieve with that? Sure. I'll go ahead and describe it in two distinct ways. One, the internal partnerships that we're cultivating throughout the public sector, and then those necessary external partnerships with, without whom the program would not be successful. So starting with the internal partnerships and diving more into, first of all, the creation of our IT strategy board back in 2019, that affords the IT and Secretary Weaver an opportunity to be informed and help drive strategic direction for programs affecting North Carolinians across technology lines. So through that body and through the collection of internal stakeholders that are a part of that body, we're able to come up with a good means by which we go to mature, create that cyber pathways initiative and make sure that it accounts for all the resources that we have in North Carolina at our fingertips through either the community colleges system or our great university system. 
So those internal partnerships are absolutely essential to making the Cyber Pathways Initiative a success. And as we move forward and see this pathway mature, we're going to be dependent upon our public-private partnerships that we'll be able to develop with IT firms or firms that are interested in participating and providing internships and apprenticeship opportunities for the North Carolinians, whether they be high school students that are entering into the Cyber Pathways program, transitioning military members or spouses that are coming off of active duty at a North Carolina base and entering into the program, or also just career transitioning folks. So those external partnerships will provide valuable and necessary in experience to the individual as they are going through their educational programs leading to public sector service. Yeah, that's great. Jim, Governor Cooper encourages high school students to explore cybersecurity careers throughout the state through friendly competitions. I got to believe this is just up your alley. I think you got to love this. Are there any cybersecurity ideas for high schoolers or college students in the back of your pocket that you're in the process of implementing or would love to implement in North Carolina during your time as state CIO? Yeah, and we talked about it a little bit earlier. So CyberStart America is a great opportunity for us to get high school students introduced into cybersecurity. And as we talked about, it's a little bit of capture the flag, but at least it doesn't require any background. You just basically sign up and participate. And here in North Carolina, we've been very fortunate. This year alone, we had over 1,500 students from 162 school districts here participate in North Carolina. And we had 24, it was 24, right, Rob? 24 National Scholar winners three of which were repeat winners from the year before as juniors as well. One of those juniors, Miss Emily Chan, one as a junior, got so entrenched into cyber and excited about cyber where she reached out to her state senator and asked her state senator, how can I help my state? And that was just awesome to have that type of an opportunity to work with an individual like that. She came to our building. Rob got her interested to talk more to her. She brought some classmates. They've now started a cyber club. Rob was working with them on Wednesday after. In fact, I went to his office one afternoon to talk about going to the office, and he's on a Zoom call with their cyber club talking through what vulnerability management looks like and why that's important. And it was just great to see that Emily even agreed to do some videos for us to promote the Cyber Start America more for us, which is why we got more people participating this year as well. So we're really trying to tap into that young talent that's out there. And what was really interesting is last year's winners, we were able to arrange an hour with the governor. Where unfortunately, we were still kind of coming out of the COVID protocols, so we couldn't do it in person. But it was interesting when we had each student introduce themselves, what school they were, and then why were they interested in cyber, what got them kind of. And it was just amazing from my family personally got hacked. And I just want to be able to do something to one young gentleman who spoke four languages already. Four. And he was, he put it, I only talk or speak four languages. Only, right? <laughs> only, yes. But he was tired of spam callers. And it was kind of his interest to one, one student admitted that I just wanted to hack my dad's phone. <laughs> to one was, I do believe there was one young man who thought that there would be a cool way to maybe meet some girls. I mean, it was interesting, the, the myriad of, of reasons why, but they were all engaged with the governor. And the governor's call to them really was around, if you're going to go ahead and pursue this career, and we encourage you to do, do think about your state, that you're going to be able to go off into private sector someday and be able to make some really good money. But think about your state, and if you could come and help us for three to five year kind of time frame, that would be phenomenal. 
And uh, like I said, we one student in particular, Miss Chen, just kept going. And now I believe she's going to be uh, dual enrolled and between UNC at Chapel Hill and also at Duke University. So that's the kind of caliber of people and talent that's sitting here in the state of North Carolina. Now, we have a lot more to do because our, our, most of our National Scholar winners were all within the 30-mile radius of, of Raleigh. North Carolina is a big state from coast to, from border to border, and we have to do a better job of outreach and really start to engage our Western communities here in North Carolina and along the Eastern Seaboard as well. So more work for us to do there. But every year we've been improving so far. Very fortunate to have Governor Cooper be interested in cybersecurity as he was very willing to sign and formalize Executive Order 254, which formalized the Joint Cyber Task Force. Every cabinet meeting, he's looking to me for an update on what's our cybersecurity posture looking. And he's made it very clear that Rob doesn't like to hear this, that cyber is my number two priority because broadband's my number one priority. But nonetheless, he is very interested in what's going on in cybersecurity and wants to be very helpful. And then on the other side, the General Assembly as well is understanding the importance of cybersecurity and is an engaged partner as well. So we're very fortunate in that regard. Yeah, Joe, and I know we're going to get into talking more about the workforce piece and the cyber fellows piece that were as a strategic priority for our IT strategy board. But I want to call attention to how we don't want to simply target the counties or the the K through 12s and the human resources, which are the most valuable resource in the whole cybersecurity pipeline itself and any cyber defensive posture that you can think of. But we also want to ensure that every North Carolinian, not just those in our more financially capable counties with higher tech schools, we want to ensure that everybody is able to come along for the ride in a very inclusive way. And I think to that point, and I'm glad you brought that up, Rob, as part of our digital equity literacy and enablement program, there is a component of cyber training. So the last thing we want to do is get people connected and then have them get victimized. So we're really working very hard to get a curriculum together for cyber training. So as we are getting more and more people connected to the digital highway, they have an awareness of what's out there and don't fall victim to the nefarious actors. Yeah, we're going to, Rob, I caught that. There's a short clip of you, maybe it's 45 seconds, on GovTech about improving the talent pipeline to boost North Carolina cybersecurity. And I actually want to go a little bit deeper on that because I think it's it was a really great insight that was brought up. And I was kind of curious around like, how are you starting to track and measure each stage of that pipeline? What are you seeing right now in North Carolina that you like, knowing that that pipeline is going to take a long-term perspective, a long-term, I mean, we're talking high school, college students, it's going to take time for those kids to develop into adults. What are you seeing right now at each stage that you like through the talent pipeline? So there's a number of different ways that we can measure our success. Secretary Weaver hit on a few of them, the number of participants in Cyber Start America and our ability to communicate that pathway and that oppor the opportunity presented by that particular competition, I think it's important to call out the progress that we've made in North Carolina just from 2020 to 2021, increasing the number of, participa number of participants by 34%, increasing the number of National Cyber Scholar designees from 18 to 24. That may sound like a small number to you, or to your listeners, but that's quite significant for North Carolina. As we continue to communicate the cyber pathway and we push more information out to North Carolina, I'm hoping personally to see that number skyrocket well above the 1,562 folks that participated from North Carolina. And as I just mentioned earlier, ensuring that every county in North Carolina has the ability to participate as well and has students that can be 
push towards that program. So in addition to the participation within the Cyber Start America program, we also want to look at how the school systems, and this is a, a partnership opportunity with our State Department of Public Instruction, how cyber clubs are being rolled out, and not necessarily even limited to cyber clubs, but rather STEM programs that might lead to careers in cybersecurity. So that's a partnership opportunity that we can see develop with our Department of Public Instruction to begin really tracking that and giving us something to measure the success of the program against. Now, longer term, looking at the number of STEM-related programs, not only in the K through 12s, but also in the community colleges and university systems. We want to ensure that wherever the students are, early, in an earlier podcast it was mentioned, go to where the go to where your staff are in terms of workforce health and hygiene. We need to go to where the students are, where the opportunities exist to extend inclusivity in programs related to cybersecurity. So ensuring that the community colleges have a curriculum that meets the needs of the areas that they serve. And also the flip side of that, we can't just think about getting more students into the pipeline. We also have to consider the faculty needed to teach those students and the increasing demands in North Carolina. At last check, there were over 21,000 vacancies in North Carolina related to cybersecurity positions, and that number is only going to grow. We have to have a sense of urgency, and we have to really be thoughtful and be able to measure our success of the program so we can make the necessary adjustments in the future. So as we talked about the Pathways program that Robin and some of his colleagues are working on, I mean, obviously, we're looking at UNC system for four-year programs, working with our community college system. And North Carolina has 58 community colleges here that are phenomenal and very, very talented. I mentioned Fayetteville Tech in the earlier podcast, just some of the work they're doing, not in the cyber IT arena, but some of the other uh, things that I saw, Mortuary Affairs as an example, is just awesome what they're doing down there and working with first responders. But... So we have that, but we also need to bridge the gap because not we don't necessarily need students with two-year or four-year degrees to come into the program. So as they're coming out of high school, how what's that program look like that maybe they until they're ready to go to community college, maybe they're ready to go to a four-year school, but we can still employ their talents because as we know, our children today, compared to when we were kids, it's night and day, right? I can still remember the rotary phone. I hate to say that. <laughs> yeah, so you may not know that. Mr. Yeah, I was at Yankee Stadium in 2009. But anyway, but yeah, I mean, and you look, I have two grandsons. And if you look at our grandchildren, they're already using technology. It's secondhand nature to them. So let's take advantage of that. We were just recently, North Carolina has a, it's called Lady Cardinals, but it's an intern program for women to introduce them into state government. I've, we've had a, been very fortunate to have a young intern working with us who wants to be an FBI profiler, as an example, but she's there working in the IT arena. So I think there's ways for us to start engaging that group and maybe bridge that gap a little bit. And maybe IT is now at a point where you don't necessarily need to have a formal education. It's more about aptitude of learning and being able to do certifications, because I think that's more relevant today than it is necessarily. Not minimizing formal education, please don't have that as a takeaway, but that can catch up. And that's why the apprenticeships and internships are so good, so valuable, and that's where it's going to be, going to take that public-private partnership to help really make or take full advantage of the resources that we have in North Carolina. 
to Emily Chen, who Secretary Weaver mentioned a short time ago, I exchanged emails with her this week. She's still very excited. She shared with me about her dual enrollment between the University of North Carolina and Duke. But I think it really calls out one particular thing. Not only are students such as Emily rising to meet the challenges of public service and in areas of their own comfort level or expertise, but the relationships matter. Lost in a lot of technology conversations are the soft skills that you need to be effective leaders, whether you be in cybersecurity or data or network operations. So forming that relationship with not only Emily, but her fellow cyber scholars that did spend some time with us, that we walked them through what a day in the life of a cybersecurity professional might be, it makes an impression on them. They made it and surely made an impression on me and my staff. So I just want to mention that relationships matter if we just present a program with that's just cold and it doesn't really provide an opportunity for growth and it's just a place to go work and then go home. That's not going to get it. And if I remember correctly, on the day they came to us, they were here at 8 o'clock in the morning. How many teenage kids do you know of that are at 8 o'clock in the morning excited to come and over the summer? That wasn't a mandatory school day they were getting out of. It was during the summer. So it was just awesome. And Joe, they brought their parents. Some of them brought their parents with them. So that was a true testament to the involvement of parents of kids that want to get into the cybersecurity field. Again, relationships matter. Yeah, no, I love that. I've actually thought about I've had this idea in my head and I'm kind of I'm waiting for the right relationship. I want to do a couple podcasts at high schools. And so I'm kind of waiting to see there's a number. If some other high schools across the U.S. aren't opening up, I'm just going to do it the high school I coach at because I can do it there. But I think it would be a blast to actually have, I mean, you just bring a bunch of food and you get 500,000 high schoolers to show up. You just bring food and people show up. I think that would be that's an idea that I have. I, I love the relationship piece. If it's a cold, hard program, no one's showing up. But if they're involved, they're involved when they're bringing their mom or dad, their mom or dad showing up. So I've got a, I've got a friend, Chris Winnick. I know Mandy knows, and he was on episode seventy-two, cyber warfare in the public sector, and is lieutenant colonel and CIO. I have the 36th Infantry Division, but I think he got promoted. I am very sorry, Chris, that I got the wrong one, but I'm pretty sure he got promoted recently. He had texted me. We were texting back, and I said, hey, I've got Jim and Rob coming on, and so he was really excited. He got back to me immediately, and like really fast. And it was a deep question. I was like, I don't really understand how to answer this question, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it down. So he texted me you know, what he considers the secret sauce to achieve unity of effort within the state and federal, local government, and the private sector. And his question was, how does North Carolina build the interlocks with all of the critical infrastructure and stakeholders to synchronize the efforts at the tactical, operational, and strategic levels towards the state's vision for cyber reliance? Woo, Chris. Boy, is this where we say we have a whole force multiplier that enhances our defensive and cyber attacking operations, and we establish a common COP for now. Right. <laughs> so resiliency is absolutely essential in modeling statewide force that we have here in North Carolina. And I'd like to go into the foundation of that Joint Cybersecurity Task Force, if I could, and then we'll lead into you know, what formalization looks like and how we bring our federal partners involved to achieve the necessary interactions and synergies that make North Carolina's JCTF effective. So many years ago, 
the North Carolina National Guard Cybersecurity Response Force was engaged to perform a security and compliance assessment against a state agency here in North Carolina. It was the first of its kind. It was approximately 10 years ago. And from that moment forward, there's been a, a very intentional effort to seek opportunities to expand the, the roles of the National Guard, get the necessary person power in place where they can take on a greater statewide mission. Fast forward to uh, several months ago, in January approximately, when Russia was amassing forces on the border with Ukraine. This was eye-opening for several states. This was eye-opening for North Carolina. This is, some, this is a geopolitical situation that could potentially have North Carolina impact. What resources do we have in place? What do we have at the beck and call in the event that the, a significant outbreak of incidents occurs? So with that and through the support of Governor Cooper and Secretary Weaver, we were able to formalize the Joint Cybersecurity Task Force for a number of different reasons. And I'm going to go into Executive Order 254, as Secretary Weaver mentioned a short time ago. But the formalization of our Joint Cybersecurity Task Force is a very important piece of our effectiveness. First of all, it allows North Carolina, in areas far flung from Raleigh, the state capital, that provides them an awareness of what the Joint Cybersecurity Task Force is. If you're a small municipality, one of the 300 plus municipalities in North Carolina, or you're a smaller under-resourced county of one of the 100 in North Carolina, sometimes you may not know that there is this force in Raleigh or spread out throughout the state that can assist you in the event that your domain controller gets totally encrypted or if your email server goes down or if your public-facing internet presence is unavailable due to a DDoS, a distributed denial of service attack. So with that formalization, it provides an awareness to North Carolina and also allows us to create partnerships with our critical infrastructure and key resources entities here in North Carolina. Those of us on the East Coast very painfully recall the inability to get fuel for our vehicles several months ago as it related to the Colonial Pipeline hack. So within North Carolina, we are very interested in developing those partnerships with critical infrastructure and key resources partners so we have visibility into the threats that are facing them and they have visibilities into the threats facing us to strengthen our information sharing with those partners to ensure that the services that exist within local governments that provide capabilities to North Carolinians are protected in the best way possible. Three areas of encouragement within Executive Order 254 that are worth mentioning. The first area is encouraging our critical infrastructure partners to provide us details of their public-facing web environment so we can proactively help them monitor. The second is for them to report in a strongly encouraged way the occurrence of incidents. And the third is to strongly encourage those entities on the critical infrastructure side to allow the Joint Cybersecurity Task Force to come alongside them in incident response and recovery activities. The goal here is to ensure that North Carolina life safety is at the forefront and that we assist with the return of service for those partners that wish to participate in the most expeditious way possible. Awesome. All right, we're going to open this up. I was going to say, drop the microphone there, right? <laughs> I always like to give it a quite a little bit of a pause. I thought Secretary Weaver was going to fill that. No, up. actually, and for those that are in the National Guard, every state has what's called the SPP program, a state partner program. 
North Carolina's two assigned countries is Botswana and Moldova. And it's funny that last year we were working with Moldova remotely. Actually, we were supposed to go there in person and actually do a cyber assessment working with the Moldova Defense Ministry until the geopolitical activity kind of derailed that a little bit. But as we were going through our exercise last year with them remotely, they kept coming back to, what can you tell us about the colonial pipeline? <laughs> that resonated even over in a European nation like that. So the profoundness of that of that incident here, as well as obviously the impact it had here in North Carolina during that time frame. But the fact that we're able to now, we're engaging with our critical infrastructure partners. Just this week, Rob and team um, had a meeting down in Charlotte, and we've got commitment from a critical infrastructure partner, a very prominent one here in North Carolina, to actually start sharing intelligence with us, as well as to actually work with us and engage in cyber tabletop exercises, working with them on their turf a little bit, if you will, to see how they do things, coming alongside with us on our turf, if you will, to see how we do things, and really trying to get the best of both worlds there. So we're, again, trying to get to that common operating picture here in North Carolina, all joking aside, and we have a good idea what's going on in our state borders, and then how can we more effectively protect North Carolinians in that regard. Obviously, the governor's reach doesn't extend into private private sector, but again, what we've seen here so far is an outreach from the private sector community to want to figure out how can they get engaged in the Joint Cyber Task Force, can they help augment us, what resources can they bring, because candidly, we've been victims of our own success. And that that's kind of sounds like a double-edged sword, but we've been so successful that the demand has gone so high that we've actually really had to sit back, take a pause a little bit, talking about burnout earlier. And that's kind of what was happening. Our resources that we had engaged on a daily basis just needed to have a little break. Unfortunately, in cyber, you don't get that break. So we're trying to figure out how can we augment and make sure they have a good work balance there. Love it. All right, let's open this up for questions for the Q&A. All right, so we've talked about resiliency pipeline for feeding new minds to the cybersecurity field at the state level. For some of the other states that aren't so advanced, or not necessarily so advanced, but as far ahead as you guys are of the curve with recruiting talent, where should some of these states start, right? What's a couple easy, maybe five tips, whatever, that these states could kind of, maybe you point them in a direction to get started. What would you say from lessons learned? So North Carolina is not alone in the good things that are happening in this space. We just happen to maybe be a, a little bit farther along. But I want to call out two, two fixed states and the good things that are happening there that, frankly, we have an opportunity to model North Carolina after. The first is Michigan and their civilian cyber, volunteer cyber corps. That provides additional capabilities to the public sector in Michigan, bringing folks in from industry that can help out in, in the event that they need a surge capacity to handle multiple events at the same time. That's one opportunity. The second, the state of Florida has credit for service, and they have this credit for service modeled, and this is college credit for service, modeled or in partnership with Florida Atlantic University. The concept here, as I understand it, is that a student that's in a STEM program, computer science, computer engineering, cybersecurity, through Florida Atlantic, has the opportunity to serve his or her state in a cybersecurity role for a semester, and at the end of that semester, they get credit for the class. So that's not something that we currently have in effect in North Carolina, but definitely an opportunity as we mature our own cyber pathway program. Yeah, I would add as well is not to fall victim to the lure of one-time funding sources. 
I've seen across the country where a lot of states are getting right now, especially with the ARP funding that's out there, the promise of the upcoming IIJA funding that's going to be out there, that one-time funding source ends. And when you start building programs, it needs to be sustained. And so we've been very fortunate here in North Carolina last year and again this year to get recurring funds. Now, are we at the dollar amount that maybe Rob would like? No. But we're building there. And we're building there because we're showing credibility. We're showing results. We're showing outcomes that benefit North Carolina. And that's, that resonates with, our, with the stakeholders that are involved in this and the likelihood of us getting additional funding. As we also look at the IAJ funding opportunity that's coming down, we're taking a position, depending upon how CISA ends up doing the final notice of final funding opportunity, is that we're going to do this from a state perspective. We already worked with our legislatures to set aside the federal matching funds, so we're not going out to counties and looking for counties who are already not spending money on cyber to try to figure out how to match 10, 20, 30, 40% over the next four federal fiscal years. So we're going to try to make sure that we're doing that because what we want to do at the end of the day in our counties and our local governments is actually get it done and not be caught up in grant administration and trying to figure out funding sources. We can take some of that responsibility away from them and incur that administrative burden better at the state, I think. So that's kind of the approach we've taken there as well, but really to focus on sustainability of programs. We talked a little bit earlier about 911 programs and what we're doing across our 911 call centers. But again, that's part of what we're going there and asking our PSAP community, show us a plan. This is what needs to be fixed. This is how I'm going to go fix it. And then how's that going to get moved into an operational mode? Because fix it once, it's going to be a matter of time before it's broke again. And, and you would get more funding if it wasn't your number, his number two priority? Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question, John. <laughs> we joked that we, the, you didn't hear this, but Nate was referred to yesterday as a $2 billion man. Right. <laughs> the $2 billion man. Love yeah, it. so Rob's hoping to become the $6 million now. <laughs> I want to be a thousandaire. Did you say he's the $600 million man? <laughs> the $600 million man? Not the $2 billion? Okay. Uh, Anyone else? Questions? Amanda Crawford. This is payback, Rob. I know. Here it comes. <laughs> Crush him. What is the most, this is for Rob, challenging part of your job that people would be surprised to hear? The most challenging part of my job, being very frank, it's allowing people to see themselves in the vision that I'm trying to create. Sometimes we get so mired down into our day-to-day. -day. What's the closest alligator to our canoe? whether you be a business stakeholder or a cyber defender within, embedded within that agency. So showing them how the structures and the processes that we're putting in place are to facilitate the secure and safe exchange of data and not just an impediment or not just a, yet another obstacle that businesses have to overcome. And I think that's why I have been successful. While it's still a challenge, I've been successful in my role to date because I am empathetic, but I also understand what it's like from the agency's perspective, having served as the chief information officer for several state agencies. So being able to understand that there's business drivers that may not be apparent that are produced and with an exception requests or procurement requests, and also understanding that agencies have their own specific direction defined by statute that may not be necessarily apparent. So understanding, being empathetic, but the most challenging part is helping folks see 
themselves in the vision I'm trying to create with the understanding that I'm helping them work towards a yes and not being the office of no. I was worried there for a second what the answer was going to go to to be no. <laughs> All right. Thank you both for coming on Tech Tables. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having us, Joe. Thank you.